So we're in First Peter chapter number 1, and uh, we began reading in verse number 13. And I want to, I'll be honest with you, my, my heart was full this week as I studied the Scripture, and I stand up here, and I've been telling the Lord, I bet you I've told Him 150 times this week, I am completely inadequate to try to describe what I want to describe today because of how much gratitude and how thankful we should be for what Christ has done. So the first section that we just finished last week, we finished that section up, three sermons on why should we have joy when there's so many trials in this life, right? When life gets tough, when we don't understand life, when it seems like it's too much to bear, why should we have joy? And the answer to that question is what? The answer is, we have so great a salvation that we have joy not based upon our present circumstances, but based upon what we are going to experience and what we are experiencing now in relationship to Christ. Now take your Bibles and look at verse number 13 real quick. Most translations, there's one word at the very beginning of that verse, and it is the word what? Therefore. So therefore takes us back to that first section and says, because of this great salvation, now therefore this is how we're to act. And that's what we're going to begin looking at today. In light of this great salvation that has been lavishly poured upon us, it's time to get serious. We can't just bask in the glory of our salvation and wait until we're taken home. We owe Christ something. And that's why I want you to remember that word gratitude. That's the only thing I can think of that's the attitude that we should have as we go through here. Because as Peter explains this, he's going to say some things such as, you ought to be holy. Um, you ought to, you ought to um, um, make your minds ready for action. And there's some people sitting here that can say, you know what? Life, this is grace. We're in the age of grace. So what? Why should I practice holiness? And they might want to argue against it. The answer is that you are so grateful that Christ picked you out of the gutter, removed your sins by dying on the cross, uh, removed the penalty of sins, and now you're actually going to go to heaven, my lands, to do anything less than what He commands is a lack of gratitude. And so that, that's where we're going today. And so the question then that, that Peter answered in the first section is this. How can I remain joyful in the midst of suffering? Today, in the next sermon or two, we're going to look at how can I stay clean in a corrupt society? Throughout Christian history, Christians have responded many different ways. Uh, there's all kinds of schemes. How can I remain uh, clean from all the corruption? Does anybody ever have the same problem I do where you feel guilty over some of the things you did? The thoughts, that's probably the worst part, isn't it? The thoughts of your mind, um, uh, maybe the things that you say and you think, how on earth can I just, can I just take a, a brush and scrub my mind or whatever? Well, Christians have been um, pondering that for, for almost, well, 2,000 years now, right? And they come up with different responses. One is, wrong answer, is that they come up with a hermit mentality. You know what that is, right? That's complete solitude. This is, this is um, Simon Stylitis who lived on the top of a pillar for 30 years. These are the hermits that live on the cave. And their thinking is, you know what? If I can just get away from all temptation, whether it, it has to do with lust of the eyes, lust of flesh, or pride, if I can get away from all of that, I won't have any problems with sin. Well, they found out in their writings that that's not the case. 
Another idea was the um, three times the charm monk mentality, and that is dwelling with only believers. You know the the monks and the nuns and all that. If we get away and we just live as a bunch of believers, trying to encourage one another, uh, we're we're going to we're we're going to do well. There there's still pockets of Christianity in America today that would. would practice that. I grew up in that sort of thing where if you'll just remove yourself from from all worldly people and, and build up a virtual wall, you can remove that temptation. You can live a clean and holy life. And then the third wrong way is utopian mentality. World War One kind of shot that one, though. Uh, that was that was really gaining a lot of ground in Western Christianity. And that is we're going to rebuild the society perfectly from ground up and we're going to have this wonderful society and each approach fails, and it falls under this idea of isolationism. Every single one of these is an isolationist-type mentality. And unlike hermits and monks and utopians, the Bible has a very different approach. Believers, as believers, we have a mission to accomplish. And it, can I just say that it's the most exciting mission in the world? I mean, we have the most important mission. Our mission is to reflect the glory of God Almighty. We're to be Christ-like. That, that is the most important mission in the world. And so since we have that mission, the idea is that we don't isolate ourselves, but rather we insulate ourselves. And there's a big difference. Um, that's why verses 13 to 25 challenges us to be different from our depraved society without fleeing to caves or, or cloisters or communes or whatever else. And so when Peter asks the question, how can I remain clean in a corrupt society? He gives four imperatives. I want you to see this in your text there. And by the way, when you're reading the Bible, these commands, these are the outlines. And so this is his outline. You ready? There are four commands in the verses that we just read that I'm going to deal with today. There are more, but what I'm going to deal with, I'm only going to actually deal with two of them, to to be honest with you. Look at verse number 14. Set your hope fully on the grace. So the first thing we're to do is to be hopeful. Secondly, verse number 15, we're to be holy. You shall be holy in all your conduct. Verse number 17, we're to be reverent. Conduct yourselves with fear. And then finally, we're to be loving. Verse number 22, love one another earnestly. And so when Peter says, therefore, because of all that Christ has done, the answer is this. Be hopeful, be holy, be reverent, and love one another. Be loving, be a loving person. And so, what I want to do today is sort of counsel. Can I counsel you? Anybody need counseling? You're saying, yeah, that that guy right there, he needs counseling sitting right beside me. I'm going to sort of counsel you, and I'm going to flip the question that Peter's asking a little bit, and I'm going to ask, how do we grow in our sanctification? Have you ever wondered that? Growing in your sanctification means that you're going to grow in your love for Christ and you're going to, um, the, the temptation, you're going to succumb to temptation a whole lot less. And that's what I think all of us want, right? We want to not succumb to temptation. I don't want to lose it with my kids. I, I don't want to um, yell at my wife. I don't want, whatever it happens to be, we want to minimize those. And so, the first way that we grow in our sanctification is that we discipline the thoughts of our mind. Look at verse number 13. It says, um, 
it says to prepare your minds for action. That's the first thing it says. Preparing your minds for action. It is not an exaggeration, people, for us to say that to live a life pleasing to God starts in the mind. It starts right here. And that's why Paul encourages the Galatians, in, in, or I mean the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honest or honorable, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is uh, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, and if there's anything worthy in praise, what's the, the command? Think on these things. So what that means is that we can control our thoughts. How many actually believe that? Most people would say, I can't control my thoughts. But the Bible says you can control your thoughts. You can, you can control and think about the right things. And so we, we start out and we think on the right things because sin begins in the mind. You cannot sin without having thought sinful thoughts first. I know what you're saying. No, I can prove you wrong, Pastor. Hey, just meet with me after church. No, that's not true. You may not have had the sinful thought immediately upon committing a sin, but you did sometime earlier, right? And so all of Christian life is in the mind. It's in our thinking. And, and so we discipline our minds, and he, he gives two descriptors. The first one is to be prepared. He says, preparing your minds for action. Now, can I, can I tell you, if you have the KJV... You know what it literally says? Did you know this isn't even close? This is not a translation of the Greek. This is an interpretation of the Greek. Because in Greek, it's an idiom. You know what idioms are? We, we interpret idioms and we don't even think about it. Let me, let me give you three idioms. You ready? Let's try this one on for size. What do you think when I say he bought the farm? Uh-huh. Not one person was thinking, who, who bought a farm? We automatically said that person died. Let me throw out another one. Ready? Another idiom. That's a piece of cake. Uh-huh. You didn't think it. Well, you might be thinking about cake if you're hungry. But you're not. You, you immediately said, well, that's really easy. How, we're in Virginia, so we got to throw out this one. Hold your horses. Uh our real good friends, Larry and Sherry, are here. Larry and Sherry Wilson from northern Wisconsin. It's snowing up there, by the way. So they're going to be 70 here today. Isn't that what it is? Anyway, well, we were playing some games last night, and Sherry's uh, kind of competitive. So I, I looked at her, and I said, Sherry, you got to remember what side your bread is buttered on. That's an idiom too, right? So what is the idiom that Peter uses? Girding up the loins of your mind. Okay, where's the teenagers? Teens, did any of your dads get up this morning and say, all right, kids, gird up your loins. We're going to church today. <laughs> Nobody said that. If, you, if your dad had said that, you would have run out the door. By the way, speaking of teenagers, I, uh, they were sitting down front last week, and a whole bunch of them were taking notes. I, that really blessed my heart to see that happen. I'm, I'm really thankful that our teenagers are doing that. And uh, keep that up. But uh, gird up the loins of your mind. The ancients, what this means is they wore robes. And if they were going to do something like run, or they were going to do some hard work, they would take that robe and pick it up and tuck it into a belt that they had so that they could work. We, we have a similar idiom today. And it, it came about in white-collar America. It's called roll up your sleeves. 
right? That's literally what he's saying. Roll up your sleeves. We're going to get busy. And so if you are going to live a life pleasing to God, you're going to grow in your holiness. You have to discipline your thoughts of your mind by the first thing, by rolling up your sleeves and taking stock of your temptations. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken stock of what tempts you? Have you ever thought through, okay, this is what tempts me. I need to think seriously about how to overcome this. I, I often ask counselees who are recovering addicts what their triggers are. What is a trigger? There's almost always a, some sort of a trigger. Stay away from the trigger. Begin thinking your, through preparing your mind for hard work. Gird up the loins of your mind or be prepared. Secondly, he uses another word. And that is be alert. He says um, be sober is the word that he uses. He says being sober. Now that doesn't mean that, that the word sober doesn't mean that we're supposed to walk around all pious singing um, ch- Gregorian chants and, and wearing robes or anything like that. The word means to be serious. Now, I found this very interesting as I was studying that word this week. Did you know that half the time it's used in the New Testament, it's put up over against drunkenness? It's put over drunkenness. And so what what does the word mean when Peter used that word? He meant as opposed to being controlled by something else, be alert. Somebody who is is overcome by alcohol is not alert at all, are they? That's when people say things they regret. That's that's when they do things they regret, and and um, so they they need to be alert. They need to be disciplined in their mind. Peter, turn turn to First Peter five eight. First Peter five eight. I'll show you where he uses that word again. Same word. First Peter five eight. Be sober minded. Be watchful. There it is. Now why are do we? Why are we as Christians to be sober minded? Because your adversary, the devil, is walking about like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. We don't play around. We don't mess around in the Christian life. We're seriously thinking about how we can please the Lord and how we can grow in our holiness. We, we need to look around at the temptations. Now, most of the temptations in the world aren't a lion. Satan doesn't come out and put on his wolf mask or his... His lion, you know, roar like a lion. How, how does Satan get us? Through allurements, right? Worldly allurements. And most of the time for a Christian, please listen, this is so important. It's a slow decay. If you have ever had uh, chemotherapy administered through a pill, you have seen the person come out and give you the pill. And what are they dressed in? If you're not familiar with this, they have on protective clothing, a protective hood. Sometimes I think they have a breathing apparatus, very thick gloves, and they use special equipment. They open it up and say, here, you take it. Now, why do they do that? It's not because you're going to die by taking it, but that person is exposed to radiation all day long, and that a constant exposure wears down the defenses of the body. Now, dear Christian, please listen to me. Please, this is so important. You have to be alert to where in your life you are allowing the allurements of this world to take away from the beauty of Jesus Christ. Where this present world 
you find more attractive than you find the glories of Jesus Christ. And it's a slow fade. And so we, we have to be sober. We have to be serious about this. We have to be alert about our exposure to corruption. It can deaden your soul. It can de- deaden your desire for heavenly things. And it can be as simple as something good. Let me, can I illustrate this in my own life? You're going to think I'm completely nuts. I'm serious. When I was younger, I played a whole lot of golf. 40, 50 times a year I was out playing golf. I loved golf. And um, one day we were in Wisconsin, and I was sitting in the front pew right down here where um, I normally sit, and we're singing songs of Jesus Christ. And you know what I'm thinking about? My golf swing. Seriously. I was thinking, man, yesterday I played so bad. My drivers were good, but I could not hit an iron off the fairway. And when that, when I realized what I was doing in the middle of singing a song of worship to Jesus Christ, I thought, Lord, forgive me. Now, for me at that time, do you know what that meant? I did something very drastic. I quit. I quit playing golf. I have not played a round of golf in the last five or six years. Now, I think I could go back out and do it again. But do you see what I'm saying? Jesus said, if your eye offends, pluck it out. He said, if your hand offends, cut it off. He wasn't talking literally. He was saying, take the measures necessary for the kingdom of God. Folks, this is serious stuff. Um, When I can stand in a worship service where we're worshiping Jesus Christ and not be moved because some allurement of this world is taking away my passion, then that's something I need to deal with. See? It's something slow like that. Now we get to the command. The third thing is we need to be hopeful. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Okay? And and I, I rephrased it because uh, in the original, these participles are in the, head, uh, in the head of it. And so he literally says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you by preparing your minds for action and by being sober. You cannot set your hope on Jesus Christ when everything else is more alluring to you. When you haven't disciplined your mind. When you have not taken the time to read your Bibles. When you're not listening to sermons. When you're not singing praise songs. By the way, there's nothing wrong with a lot of the music that we can listen to today. But it can take away from our worship of the Lord if that's all we ever listen to. I'm not trying, I'm not being a legalist here. What I'm saying is, if this is the case in your life, you need to take stock of it and maybe make some changes. That's all I'm saying. In response to what God has given you in this great salvation, shouldn't you live in constant anticipation and the hope of the grace to come? Happy mentioned it today when he said the second advent. I cannot wait. I pray, Lord, please come. I can't wait for you to come. It's going to be so glorious. Have you ever have you forgotten how sweet the grace of God is? Have you have you been a Christian so long that grace has lost its sweetness to you? Be honest. Be honest about this. Would the coming of Jesus Christ, if he knew or happening tomorrow, would it be an intrusion on your life? Kind of like the funny story I told last week about, man, I wouldn't even be able to get my driver's license. Would it mess up your plans if he came tomorrow? We become so worldly in our affections, so worldly in our interests, that I believe if we are honest, we hope Christ doesn't show up for a long time. And it isn't even necessarily because the things we're doing are sinful. It's just that we don't want to have plans messed up. 
You know, I mean, Lord, we've got this great big trip planned. Uh, we've been saving a long time. We just bought a new house. I have, I have tickets to the Super Bowl, Lord. Um, that's how we live life. I believe that most Christians living in our culture, frankly, or most people who claim to be Christians, would find that really thinking about the coming of Christ would be something that, that would be an intrusion on their plans. In essence, here what Peter is saying is, get your focus right. So first of all, in order to live holy lives, we need to grow in our sanctification. We need to discipline the thoughts of our minds. Secondly, we need to discipline the lusts of our hearts. He says this in verse number 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He uses two words there. Word passion and former ignorance. If you are saved, let me give you this principle. If you are saved, then the general character of your life is obedience. Turn to Ephesians 2.2. 2. I, I want to show you something that Paul says. We're studying Peter. But I want to show you something Paul says. And this is insightful. Ephesians 2.2. 2. Yeah, in Ephesians 2.2, 2, he calls the unsaved what there? He uses a word. Sons of disobedience. Now hold your finger there and go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to show you something. The, I have, I'm using the ESV, and it's a little bit different. But notice there in verse number 14, he calls us what? Obedient children. Did you know that that's the same word? It's the same way. It's literally sons of obedience. That's how you could write it. Sons of obedience or obedient children. So Paul says that at one time you were sons of disobedience. And Peter is saying that now you are sons of obedience. Now, how does that happen? Well, look at Ephesians 2.8, if you're still in Ephesians 2. He says what? He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, obedient works. And so it's God that changes from children of disobedience to children of obedience. Peter says, you're children of obedience as obedient children. Now go back to first Peter chapter number one. When you come to Christ, God gives you a new nature. He gives you a gift and that gift is good works. But this is interesting, our growth and holiness, because there are two concepts that we need to remember as we as we work through this whole idea of obedience. We are made holy through Jesus Christ. But our life on earth is a matter of becoming what we are. Isn't it? How many of you, since you've been saved, you've been perfectly obedient to God? Yeah, right. I'll ask how many got a speeding ticket this week and we'll have that question answered real quick. Right? So, if a Christian, as they're growing in Christ is in the process of becoming what they are. And we understand that completely. I, um, I was on the fire department in Pound, Wisconsin. I, became, I was a fireman for 11 years. Now let me ask you a question. When, when I left Wisconsin three months ago, was I more of a fireman than I was 11 years ago? The answer is yes and no. 
The answer was, I was just as much a fireman 11 years ago as I was three months ago. But in my capabilities and knowledge, I was much more of a fireman, right? Uh, in fact, I was fire chief. Now, Larry here, Larry was on the squad, the fire department with me. He was our training officer. Larry's forgotten more about firefighting than I know. And, and he, he's a very knowledgeable firefighter. But the fact of the matter is, in any profession that you are in, you grow in that knowledge and you become better and better and better, don't we? And that's the same way in the Christian life. We are holy. We're declared holy, but we are growing in our holiness. And so we're obedient children. And we get this by repenting of sinful behavior. And, and um, that's the, one of the issues that we need to get wrap our minds around. Look at this here. Because I meet a lot of people who, who say they want to change, but there will be no lasting change until there is an uncovering of sinful desires. We have to get beyond repenting of sinful behavior, and there must be a repentance of sinful desires. And that's the crux. I, I've done a lot of marital counseling. And I find that in my marital counseling, maybe here they're more successful, I get, I get about a 50% success rate. And the bottom line is that the ones who don't do well, don't do well because they don't have the desire to change. They, they give lip service to it, but they don't really have a desire to change. And as a Christian, what we need to long for is a repentance of sinful desires. And that's what Peter says. Look at, look at verse number um, 14 again. He says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Did you see that little word conformed? What does it mean to be conformed? Well, we find it in Romans chapter 12. says where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You know what that word conform means? It, It means to mold, to be shaped. And so Peter is saying, don't be shaped by your sinful desires. You've seen people, very overt, um, visual illustrations of people who are shaped by sinful desires. Whether it's the drunk, whether it's the um, um, drug addict, or you name it, you've seen it, the criminal, their life becomes shaped by that sinful desire, doesn't it? It impacts every part of their life. And Peter says, don't be conformed to that. Don't allow that to shape your life, but rather have your life shaped by Jesus Christ. It's, it's easier as time gets along. Um, working with addicts, initially change is difficult, but over time that, that desire, while it's still there, becomes much more manageable. How many of you made a New Year's resolution this year that you're going to exercise most of the time? How many of you are actually doing it? Yeah. Um, I, when I worked out a lot when I was younger, I always hated the first three weeks of the year. Because you couldn't get to any of the equipment because the gym was just full of people. And you look at those people and you'd say to yourself, you know what, dude, I know you're not going to be here three weeks from now, so just get it done now and then I can get to working out. You know what I'm talking about, right? Well, one of the things about a habit like working out or running or anything else, it's hard at first. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And sometimes it never becomes easy, but the decision to do it becomes easier, right? Well, that's the way our growth and sanctification happens. If you're really, really struggling with the sin right now and you're really discouraged in whatever sinful it is, maybe 
you, you have an anger issue. Maybe you, you've got some other issue. Take heart because as your life becomes more shaped by Jesus Christ and less shaped by that sin, the, 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 the giving in, to, the temptation gets lower and the giving in becomes less frequent. And that's something that we can be thankful for. And so we're seeing a progression here. Peter, Peter says that holiness starts in the mind. That is, I must discipline the thoughts of my mind. He also said it includes the will. I should must discipline the lust of my heart. And I want to give you one more principle today. And that is we must discipline the habits of our life. Look at verses 15 and 16. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So basically what Peter says this is a second command. He says, be holy like God. The word holy is commonly defined as set apart. When we think of something holy, we think of something that's just different than everything else. But the idea is, is really consecrated. We're to consecrate ourselves. The idea is that we're to be imitators of God in His difference. Just as God is different from the world, so we are as His children and heirs of the inheritance set before us in heaven. We're to be different from the world as well. The best way to illustrate is through wedding vows. We got married a while ago, right? I, I gave her wedding vows on that day in August. Hot day. It was 103 degrees that day. It was really hot. You remember that? And I gave my wedding vows. Well, just because in that wedding I said, I consecrate my life to you, Heather. You're the only woman in my life. It doesn't stop there, does it? It's every day of my life. I look at the ring. I think about the vows. And I think to myself, I am hers and she is mine. And I'm totally set apart from all other people in the world only to her. And if you're married, you understand that concept very well. You're consecrated to your wife. And what's true in marriage is true in our relationship with God. We are declared holy by our gracious God when we are saved. We enter into a permanent relationship with Him. But from day to day, we must continually remind ourselves of our holy calling. Recommit ourselves to it. Live in it. And this is why it's good every morning if you could pray, Lord, I set apart my mind for You today. I set apart my passion for You today. My eyes, my ears, my lips, I want my motivations, my attitudes, my disciplines. I want all of these things set apart for you, Lord, because we are to be holy. We're to be set apart for him. And there's a reason for this holiness of conduct. He says he refers back to the Old Testament, to Leviticus. And since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Why should we be holy? Because we're image bearers. We're to reflect the glory of Christ in our lives. We have this debt of gratitude that we're to reflect His glory. And so, we're to be holy because He is holy. We're bearing His name. Isn't that exciting? Man, that is exciting. That is the most important mission in life. You have nothing more important than bearing the image of Jesus Christ. Teenagers, I know you're... you're full of hope. You can't wait to get out of high school. You can't wait to start college. You can't wait to start your career. You can't wait to get married. But can I tell you, teens, the most important thing that you can do with your life is to bear 
the image of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will last. That's the only thing that has eternal rewards is to be like the one who saved you from your sin. Now, what does this look like? I'm only going to introduce this because we're, we're going to apply it. Peter applies this. You ready? Look, look at look at first Peter chapter one. This is how we're to do it. We're to discipline the habits of our lives by putting away sins that hinder our growth. Chapter number two, verse number one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And then he gives the positive aspect of it. Then we should crave the word that promotes growth. Verse number two, chapter two, two. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you that by it you may grow up unto salvation. So put off, put on. Paul does that all the time. It's a pattern of Scripture. In in Colossians chapter 3, he says, But now you must put them all away. What must we put away? We must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. Um, and it says, seeing you put it off with your old practices, put on the new self. And this is interesting what Paul says. He says, put on the new self in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We're to image Christ. And so then he goes on to say, put on then as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all else, you want the main characteristic that God, that Paul said that we should put on because we're image bearers of Jesus Christ. You ready? Love. Love binds it all together. Love binds us to God and love binds us to one another. You know, I'm going to say this again. I've said it already. Please don't get tired of me saying this. This is one of the most loving churches I've ever encountered in my entire life. There is such love in this church. And, and it just blows me away how loving you are. Keep loving God. And you will love one another just as well. Keep bearing that image. This church is bearing the image of God by the way that they love others. We have, a, we have an incredible privilege as believers. We have the privilege of going to heaven one day. Christ could come back before today is done with the trumpet sound in all of His glory and immediately... Whatever sickness, whatever pain, whatever sorrow you're dealing with is going to be wiped off the map and you're going to have complete joy. No more tempted by sin. No more having sin done to us. Amen? No more tiredness. No more pain. No more sorrow. We will see Jesus in complete glory. And so we're encouraged that way. But in the meantime, to be grateful to Him for all that He's going to do to us, we need to discipline the thoughts of our mind. We need to discipline the lusts of our hearts. And we need to discipline the habits of our lives. Because we owe Him so much. It's a wonderful privilege. Let me ask you a question as we close. Maybe the Holy Spirit was speaking to you. There might be in the back of your mind right now an incident that happened. Or a habit that you have. And the, the tendency is to just brush that off as coincidence. Ah, that's just coincidence. It's not. 
That's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now. Maybe right now, the Holy Spirit's saying to you, you know what? I probably need to make this change and that change. And I need to repent of this desire and that. Now's the time to do it. Because you have this wonderful privilege to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and bear His image. And one day you're going to be just like Him in heaven. What a great Savior we serve. Lord, we thank You for Peter's instruction here on what we are to do because of what Christ has done. I pray that, first of all, that our overwhelming attitude will be an attitude of gratitude and joy. Oh, Lord, we, we're, we should be so grateful for what You have done. Singing these songs today, I was overwhelmed with emotion because just thinking about what Christ has done. But Lord, in the meantime, help us as a church to roll up our sleeves and discipline our minds and live holy lives separated unto the One who separated us out of this world. In Christ's name, Amen.